So let's hear from Paul Setter to the Galatians. We've got, we've got a long chunk to do tonight. We won't do all of it. Uh, but it's Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at all of chapter 3 and uh, the first seven verses of chapter 4. So to begin with, if I may, I'm going to read the first chunk of chapter 3 and then the beginning of chapter 4. They sort of bookend what we're going to look at today. You foolish Galatians! There's the beginning. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by your observing the law or by your believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the beginning of chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as heirs are underage, they're no different from slaves, although they own the whole estate. They're subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their fathers. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you also Uh, With Tim's encouragement, uh, I'd love us to think this evening about about stories, the story of God, the big story of God, and how we fit into it ourselves. I think we all love stories, don't we? Who doesn't love a good story? And um, whether that's uh, line of duty, who was H, who was the fourth man, was it an anticlimax, wasn't it? I don't know what you've felt about that. Or it might be the romance of the Euros, little Hungary taking on the might of France. We won't mention poor Wales on this particular occasion. Uh, or it might be our own, our own stories. I mean, chances are, if we were to meet for the first time, as we may be this evening, and you say, John, tell me about yourself, I will tell you a story about myself, about uh, my, my marriage to my wife, or my being a professor or not in America, whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, and the same is true of our society, actually. Our society operates through stories. It's how we understand ourselves. So uh, do you remember the, the last chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs? He said, a culture is defined by its narratives. And here's a, a Christian theological philosoph- philosopher, Alistair McIntyre. He said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part? Now think of the stories that uh, shape our society. I wonder what you would think they, they are. 
I think probably our society works around stories about choices, what choice I get to make. Um, our stories are about success, achievement. Uh, it's about authenticity, isn't it? It's about freedom. I think increasingly it's about confidence to be ourselves. Uh, our stories as a society are all about the road to fulfillment and success and happiness. These may or may not be good stories to live by, but I think they are the defining stories of our society. When we come to Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul is actually telling us our story as Christian people. That's what he does. This is our story. This is our song. This is how, dear friends, this is how we can understand ourselves as Christian people. We live by many stories, and Paul is saying, this is the story. This is how we know ourselves. This is how we know what God is up to in the world. This is how we know what meaning is. This is how we know where we're going. This is how we know what life is all about. So it's quite a big subject. It's big stuff, isn't it? So that's what we're going to have a look at tonight. What is your story? How do you understand yourself and your life? What is my story? Who am I? What am I all about? Well, the first heading I'm going to give, if I may, is uh, our story is the Bible's big story, and that is that God is blessing the world. Uh, you remember the context. Uh, Paul has been planting churches. He did a lot of that. He hardly seemed able to, able to stop. And uh, he is, uh, he's planted some churches in Galatia. Uh, that's uh, probably modern-day Turkey. He's planted quite a few. Uh, and... Uh, some of the people who come to faith in Christ have done so through a, a Jewish background and some from a non-Jewish background. And you'll remember that those from a Jewish background are saying, uh, to be part of God's people, you, you have to keep the law. You're justified by the law. And Paul is emphatic in saying, no, 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 you're justified by Jesus, by your trust, your faith, your hope in in Jesus. You don't need to keep the law. And that would have been the Ten Commandments, particularly. And it seems in the context of Galatians, especially around various behaviors around food, what you ate, who you ate it with, and circumcision. These seems to have been the big arguments Paul was having. So if you've got a Bible open before you, we're going to dive into chapter 3 and uh, have a look at uh, verse 7 and compare it to verse 29. So this is the long bit in the middle. Paul says this, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Go to verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, so both those verses are about who are the children of Abraham. This was the big question. This is the big story. Who are God's people? Children of Abraham is shorthand for are you part of God's people in the world? And Paul is defining God's people, the children of Abraham, as uh, either those who belong to Christ or those who have faith. It's the same, the same thing. Uh, that's, what he's, that's what he's doing. And uh, there are two ways of being children of Abraham, according to the debate that's going on. One is to keep the law, as we just said. But if you have a look, quick look at verse 13... What happens if you keep the law? You end up cursed, 
under God's curse, not God's blessing, but God's curse, because we can't keep the law. We keep messing up. We can't do that. And also what happens if you look at verse 22 and verse 23, Paul uses the same phrase twice. He says, locked up. You end up locked up. You're not free. You're imprisoned. It's a horrible feeling. So don't use the law, these moral or tribal ways of doing things. Don't use those to justify yourself. Instead, the second way is faith. So verse 23 and verse 25, when this faith came. That's our, that's our context. So let's step back. What's the big picture? What's the big picture? And I think when we come to the Bible, particularly to really complex passages like this one, I, I think it helps to step back and say, what, what's the big thing that Paul is trying to, to get across? And we can get to that, I think, by looking at a couple of verses. Verse, verse 8 of chapter 3. Scripture foresaw that God would announce the gospel in advance to Abraham... And here's a quote, all nations will be blessed through you. Isn't that a fascinating verse? Uh, God preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. Long before Jesus, God was preaching the gospel, and he preaches the gospel to Abraham. And what's this message? It's, uh, Abraham, I'm going to take you, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. So we have a look at this slide, just how we represent that. It's um, God blesses Abraham, and through Abraham and his family, his descendants, his people, he blesses the world. Uh, Catherine and I have uh, teenage daughters of whom we are inordinately and excessively and quite rightly very proud. Uh, and I think it strikes us that their generation is much more wary, much more cynical uh, about Christianity. And one of the things which keeps coming up is, uh, is something which shocks me, really, the sense that Christianity might actually be a really bad thing. It might be toxic. It's bad for people. It crushes people. It destroys people, uh, which is, which is a, a horrible thing for me to think about. And this is the big story which flies in the face of that. The big story is that God longs to bless the world. That's where everything starts from. God is a good God. He's kind. He's loving. He's good. And he wants, through Abraham and his descendants, he wants to bless the world. He wants to love the world in his kindness and his healing and his redemption. That is what he's about. So when we hear the, the narratives in our society about how Christianity might be toxic, it might be tribal, it might be just very Western or white or middle class or whatever, this flies in the face of that. No, 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 it's the world, the whole world. God longs to love and to heal and to bless the world. Next verse, verse 14, is, uh, is this. How, how is he going to bless the world? He, that's Christ, redeemed us in order, by his death on the cross, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, ah, oh, there it is, there it is again, might come to the Gentiles, that word, it just means the nations. So again, it's the world. The blessing might come to the world through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So Paul is advancing the argument a bit here. Uh, so 
The blessing, Abraham's blessing, how does that come to the world? It comes now through Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the law so that the blessing of Abraham could come to the world. So Jesus, as it were, is stepping into the fulfillment of what God had announced through Abraham. Are you with me? I feel I'm working you very hard on a, on a Sunday afternoon. You are the most delightful people to preach to. Thank you. And don't think anyone has fallen asleep yet. That's, uh, that is really very, very impressive. So Paul is saying, this is our story. He's saying, look, if you're, if you're from a Gentile background, this is, this is your story. Abraham, he's your story. Jesus, he's your story. And he's saying to Christians from a Jewish background, sure, Abraham is your story, but not because of the law, but because of Christ. This, all of us, this is our story. What's the big story? That God wants to love the world. That's what he promised through Abraham, and he's done it through Christ and the blessings that come through Christ. Uh, as I was saying with, with Tim, part of uh, my job, which I love, is I, I train church planters. And uh, I, I went on this, this course in America, and it was a truly global course, so I, it was a real privilege to be there. And I was sitting side by side with a man who became a, a friend called Theo. And Theo's from the, the south, south of Africa. And you know what it's like the first time you go around and you, you introduce yourself. And rather out of character, I, I went first. I said, I, my, my name's John. And, uh, oh, good for me. I've, I've planted two churches. And there was, oh, job well done. That's, that's great. And then it came to Theo. and said, my name's Theo. And he wasn't doing this to put me down. But he said, my name's Theo. I've planted 74,000 churches. <laughs> And he really has. He showed us the stats. Here's Malawi, and they do it through generations of church plants. So one plant plants another plant, which plants another one, and so on and so on. But why I tell you about Theo, I, I was so taken with this, and I said, look, Theo, well, I train church planters, and you, you must know a thing about this. And um, This is our curriculum. This is what we do. Um, tell me, how do you train church planters? And he looked at me really confused, and obviously... I thought he hasn't understood the question. Theo, how do you, how do you change church planters? And he said, well, uh, well um, Romans is quite good. Uh, and then John, we, we like reading John and Isaiah, and yeah, Genesis does, does the trick. And it was one of those moments, think, oh, John, goodness me. What was Theo doing? He was saying, this is our story. This is our story. The Old Testament and the New Testament. This is our story. This is who we are. So how could you think about planting churches unless you did know about Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Abraham and Moses and David and James and John and Silas and Paul? This is our story. And friends, this is our story. I imagine that um, you, you write your autobiography. Uh, or someone writes your biography, because we're all going to be famous, aren't we, I'm sure. Someone writes our biography. Um, where is the chapter going to be where you talk about the influence of Abraham on, on your life? Or um, that time when you read Isaiah, and the Lord just spoke to you through this man and his incredible life and ministry. Or you're reading Acts, and you thought about Silas and Paul in prison. Because I think what Paul is saying in Galatians 3 is that these people are as important in your life as your cousin, your workmate, 
your neighbor, they influence you as much or more than these people all around you because this is our story. God is blessing the world through this whole series of generations of his faithful people who find their culmination in Jesus along the way. So I think, our, what's our application for this? I, I wonder how to put this. Um, I suppose at one level is, uh, let's learn to read the Bible in this way. Um, I don't know how you find reading the Bible. Um, some of us love it and find it very easy, and I know some of us really, really struggle. I wonder if this helps to read it as a big story. Read it as a big story. I don't know if you like the, the writings of Eugene Peterson. Let me commend Eugene Peterson to you if you've not come across him. He writes brilliantly in this kind of way. So thoroughly recommended. Or there's another book by a man called Craig Bartholomew. It's called The Drama of Scripture, Finding Our Place in the Biblical Story. Learn to read the Bible in these big chunks with the big story to the front of our mind. Okay, we're doing all right. Very good, lovely. Second, second heading then. Um, and this one goes like this. God blesses the world through the church. How can we ground this, this story? How can we bring this massive story, God wants to love and bless the world, in Parsons Green? How can, how can we do that? How is the gospel going to re reach Halley's? It's a great place, isn't it? Have you been to Halley's? Tim and Joe recommend it. Oh, it's very good indeed. Um, how, are we, how are we going to do that? And Paul's answer is, rather surprisingly, through the church. And of course, this is incomprehensible to our society. This is God's great story. He's going to bless the world. He's going to love the world. And we think, yes, that's marvelous. This is fantastic. Through the church. That feels anticlimactic at best or a bit of a sick joke at the worst. But Paul insists on it. This is how God loves the world, through the church. And what he has in mind is not kind of big picture institutional church. He's not talking about um, the relations between the Catholic church and the Baptist church. He's not talking about the high politics of the Church of England. And these things are very important. I'm not denigrating them. We must pray about them and give them our best attention. He's talking about what's happening here tonight in this room. He's talking about the person you're sitting next to or in front of. This is how God blesses the world. He's chosen to do so through us, the local people on the ground. Let's have a look at some other verses. Verse 16, chapter 3. The promises were spoken to Abraham, there we go, and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. This sounds very semantic, doesn't it? A rather sort of involved way of thinking, which we don't adopt very much today. But it's important. Paul is saying, think back to Abraham. And the promise of Abraham was that God would bless the world through Abraham and his family. And Abraham's family were, of course, going to be the nation Israel. So God would bless the world through faithful Israel. Yeah? That didn't work out because Israel were not faithful. Now Paul stands back and he says, but there is a blessing which comes through one Israelite, the faithful Israelite, Jesus. Jesus fulfills the promises made to Abraham that should have come through the nation of Israel but didn't, but come through the faithful Israelite, 
Jesus. So if we put that in a, in a slide, back to our slide, here we have it again, God through Christ now into the church. <coughs> Excuse me, all this shouting, it's uh, giving me a tickle. Uh, if we go a bit further with that, verse 26, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. It's as if, isn't it, that this is the wrong analogy, but stay with me, that Christ is kind of like a container. Christ is the container, and we are in the container. We are in Christ. So all that God promised through Abraham, which is now fulfilled in Christ, if we are in the container of Christ, then we are the ones through whom that blessing comes to the world. And as Paul goes on to say, that's the church. So he goes from verse 26 very quickly to verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all in Christ Jesus. You're all children of God. And if we think back to the Old Testament, one of the titles, one of the ways in which God referred to Israel was my son. Do you remember this? I will redeem my son. I will rescue my son, Israel, from Egypt. Now we are children of God, not by virtue of being Israel, but by virtue of being in Christ. So this is what it looks like. God blesses the world through Christ, and we, the church, are in Christ. That's a sneak preview of what's coming. It looks exciting, doesn't it? Um, let, me, let me tell you a silly story about myself a long time ago. Uh, I, I was a, a student, and my, my university, I came, my faith came alive at, at uh, university. And um, there was sadly a bit of a division within the, the Christian students between those who were word Christians and those who were spirit Christians. Uh, it's a silly distinction that looking back, why we got so upset about it, but we really did. And how, how this expressed itself if you were a word Christian, I kid you not, you wore corduroy trousers and cardigans and read the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, the RSV. That, that was the sound way of being a Christian in those days. And if you're a spirit Christian, well, you wore jeans and a T-shirt and you read the NIV. It was as culturally distinct as that. And there's something of this going on with Paul. That, no, I'm a law Christian. I'm, I'm child of Abraham by keeping the law. No, I am a child of Abraham because of Jesus. And uh, how silly it all is, isn't it? These, these things that we have. Uh, this morning at the family service, we, we represented the church by a, a, um, a cardboard box. And the, the children colored in tiny little cut-out people. I made them. I'm afraid they were terrible. They looked all like aliens, and some of them didn't have heads. I hope it didn't really traumatize the children. But they put these little figures into, into the box as representing they were in the church. And we turned the box around, and on the back it said, Jesus. That's Paul's vision. Of, this is what it is to be a Christian. This is our story, is that we are together in the box. And the box, you look at it from one side, and it says, church. It says St. D's. Turn it around the other way and it says Jesus. Not that Jesus and the church are one and the same. Jesus is everywhere in the world. The church is far from perfect. But God loves the church in Jesus. 
And that is why there's such a close connection in the mind and heart of God between the church and Jesus Christ. There's a man called Leslie Newbiggin. I don't know if you've come across him. He was a great missionary, a missiologist, and and theologian. And, And he wrote this. I think it's a brilliant quote. It's surely a fact of inexhaustible significance that what our Lord left behind him was not a book, nor a creed, nor a system of thought, nor a rule of life, but a visible community. Isn't that striking? What did Jesus leave behind him? He didn't write a book. He didn't come up with a philosophy. He didn't come up with a training program. He left people who met together in his name. That's the strategy of Jesus to bless the world, is this ragbag thing that we love and drives us mad and we're so delighted and privileged to be part of. It's called the church. One thing about this church, though, one thing about my model of the cardboard box, it should, of course, really have been on wheels, but that was way beyond my skill. Because the church is not there to be the church for itself, is it? The church is there, do you remember the picture? To bless the world. That's why we're here to carry the blessing of Abraham, which is now fulfilled in Christ, to carry that blessing to the world. That's what St. Dees is for. That's what we do. And why it's so amazing, the stuff that you do do and we do do. Uh, Tim and I were were chatting. Uh, We had a theological discussion at the, the White Horse. Clearly, you can't talk theology without beer. I think that's entirely correct. That was Luther's point throughout, wasn't it, I think? Um, And he's a very, very brilliant man, isn't he? Suddenly talked about the church is a prophetic thing. And, And particularly in our time, here we are coming out of pandemic, our society is rocked and reeling. We don't, none of us really know which way is up. Here of all times is the role of the church to be built together as one in Christ Jesus, to be a kind of model for society of being together in a healthy and good way. So well done being back in the building. I think we, we've all had a sense, haven't we, of, you know, it's been great to come to church in our pajamas, and, but actually it's so different to be here, to be together, to have live worship. And thank you guys, that was such a blessing, wonderful, wonderful worship. Um, So if you're watching online, hello and welcome. It's really, really good that you are. Love to encourage you to come and join us. Because this is how the vision happens. The church is at the center of the way God wants to love and bless his world. And that means us being committed to being together to carry that blessing to the world. Last point. Here we we go. Um, Your story is... Cue the fire about the Holy Spirit. Your story is about the Holy Spirit. Because what is this blessing? Notice this. God wants to bless the world through Abraham, now fulfilled in Christ, to reach and love the world. Well, what is that blessing? Go back to verse 14 of chapter 3. Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That's the blessing that he's talking about, is the blessing of the Spirit. 
In fact, if we uh, look at the, the rest of the chapter, we'll, we'll see that's what he's been on about from the beginning. So at the beginning of the chapter, verse 2, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Now, that puts us on notice, doesn't it? Paul is saying, this is what I really want to talk to you about. I just got one thing to ask you. This is the big question. I don't need to know anything else, just this, this one thing. What is it? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? It's all about the Spirit. I find that really interesting. When we, when we talk about the church, I wonder what our theological model would be. I, for me, it would be, well, the church is the body of Christ, in the Bible, isn't it? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, uh, and other parts in the New Testament as well. Church is the body of Christ. And of course, it, it is. Back to the container idea. We are in Christ. We're all children of God together in Christ. We are sons and daughters in the Son. But then Paul very quickly goes on to say, when we talk about church, carrying the blessing, we need to talk about the Spirit. When we think about church, Paul is saying, yes, do think about church being the body of Christ, but you must think church and spirit go together. When we gather together, we experience the spirit. And that's the, the language that he was using, wasn't it? Um, verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by your observing the law or by your believing what you heard? You've experienced so much. God is supplying the Spirit. God is working miracles amongst you. It's really interesting to me. He's, he's not saying, now guys, go for that. Make that your aim. You know, go from a, a low bar to a, a high bar. Go from just turning up to experiencing the Spirit. He said, no, 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 you, you experience the Spirit. And that's where he starts. You, you know the Spirit. Don't you know the Spirit? Of course you know the Spirit. How did that happen? Not through observing the law but by believing God, that God was loving the world through the blessing of Abraham. You received that blessing in that kind of way. And at the end of our passage, chapter 4, he comes back to the Spirit. The Spirit bookends this long discussion about the story of God. So this is verse 6 of chapter 4. Because you are his sons, and that includes daughters in this context, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Uh, these are amazing verses, aren't they? This, this is the life of the Spirit. And what Paul is saying is, if you're a Christian, if you're in the church, you have the Holy Spirit. You have experienced the Holy Spirit. You really have. And it might be a powerful thing, have you know, God working miracles. Or it might be the sense of you're part of God's family. You can call God Father. The spirit within you goes, Abba, Father. Now, all of these things are wonderful, wonderful experiences of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that says so much to me that, that we really can experience God. God is not a, a concept or an idea. He's, he's a person who comes near. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great revival leader in America in the 18th century, formidable man. Um, 
the revival was breaking out all around North America. You know, he would preach. He was an incredibly boring preacher. It gives me such encouragement. He, he, he used to read everything, and it went on for a very long time. And there was a bell rope at the back of his church, and he would just look at the bell rope and read. Didn't look at anyone, just kept reading. And a, a monotonous voice. And as he read, revival happened. And people would fall to the ground, crying out to God and experiencing God. It was an incredible thing. And people came from all around the country. And they would go and queue up outside his study at his home. And he would go into the study. They would go into the study and John, the great Jonathan would talk, talk to them and then out they'd go. His wife's called Sarah. And Sarah used to stand in the corridor. And Sarah was so filled with the spirit that she could rarely stand. And she would slide down the wall and just lie there in, in the corridor and these great theologians would come and sort of step over Sarah and go and talk to President Edwards. And she wrote, she wrote beautifully, she talked about my dearness to him, that's Jesus, and his closeness to me. I think that's so beautiful, my dearness to him. This is the experience of the Spirit. Um, Jesus comes close, comes close. Uh, and sometimes that's a work of power, and sometimes it's a work of intimacy, but it's always Jesus. Dearness and closeness. I, I, I'm not a particularly holy person. I wish I was, and uh, I pray and I cry out to the Lord, but it, even just in ordinary parish ministry, I I can take you to places in London where there are people who are alive today who should have died or were dying, but the Holy Spirit raised them up in the name of Jesus. A lot of them. I can take you to children and young people who were born to mothers and fathers who were told they could never have children. There are miracles all around us. I mean, life and death miracles, extreme miracles, New Testament miracles, they're everywhere. They're just everywhere. And I can also take you to people who, well, I can't because they've died. That's the point I'm making. <laughs> but, but they've died well. They've died well. They've faced terrible things with courage. This is the life of the Spirit. And I, can, I think of a man who I knew a long time ago at university when I was in cords and my cardigan and reading the RSV. And uh, I had this friend, he went to the Navy, he was a very distinguished, lovely, lovely man. And he was deeply troubled. He said, John, I never experience any of this Holy Spirit stuff. I don't know what it's about. Am I a Christian? I really don't know. But one thing I do know is that I can call God my Father. I said, well, Andrew... That's the spirit within your spirit crying, Abba, Father. Let's finish off. This is our story. This is our song. God wants to bless the world. That's the story. And God wants to bless the world through Abraham, and that's been taken through Christ and fulfilled in Christ, and now the spirit has come. So what's our story? Our story is the story of God. You see, there's the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And our story is us. Our story is always we before it's I or you. 
together we do this. And the great thing is that this story is still being written. It's still going on now. It's still happening. Um, the Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he, he talks about, imagine that the Bible story as being in five acts. If act one is the creation and the fall, act two is the story of Israel, Abraham, and Moses, and so on. Act three is Christ. Act four is the church and the Holy Spirit. And act five is you and me. It's still happening. It's still being written today. I love Tim's great cry coming out of COVID. Please don't go back to normal. Please don't go back to how it was before. Who wants to go back to how it was before when we could be taking the adventure on? I love that. So let's think of ourselves, just to finish, let's think of ourselves as uh, adventurers or explorers. Let's think of ourselves as artists and storytellers and creatives. Let's think of ourselves as scientists, really investigating and discovering. Let's think of ourselves as sportsmen and sportswomen who are forging new history and new adventures. Let's think of ourselves as architects and garden designers or teachers and educators or miners and archaeologists. We're looking deep and we're discovering new things and moving on together in this adventure of God. What's your story? What's my story? What's our story? It's the story of the children of God, redeemed by Christ, set free by Jesus, living in the power and the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit to bring his blessing to the world. This is our story. This is our song. Amen? Amen. Would you like to stand and we'll, we'll pray.